0: You're listening to Not The Stock Response, an investment
1: podcast like no other, perhaps for good reason. And to keep the lawyers happy, this is not formal financial advice. Hello and welcome to a special guest episode of Not The Stock Response. Joining me in the studio today is Latham Co. Director Tom Isles. Hello. And Tara Gillespie. Hi. Who is Head of Global Assets at the award-winning independent investment consultancy, Reddington. The big question on the pod today then, how can individuals invest like institutions? Uh, but before we get into all of that, Tara, would you mind quickly just summing up uh, what Reddington do and how they work with Lathen Co.?
2: Yeah, so Reddington typically works with large institutional investors. We have over 500 billion of assets under advice. And what we're here to do is provide independent research and advice around where to invest and importantly, picking the best fund managers in the world to for our clients to invest with. In terms of how we work with Lathen Co., while the sums that their clients have to invest are smaller than the sort of five hundred billion number that um, that I that I quoted, by grouping them together, we're able to offer the same level of independent rigor and analysis, but to the benefit of individuals.
1: So, when you say um, gr- grouping them together, how does that
0: um, how does that work in practice? Well, this is really where the financial planning element comes in.
2: Exactly. So, if you came to me and said, Tara, I've got two hundred thousand pounds to invest, where should I invest it? I can't answer that with that information there's just too many variables and unknowns
1: also i haven't um, which i suppose could be (laughs) something of a blocker
0: yeah well whatever you have um before looking at how you invest it the first question is well what are you actually trying to achieve and over what sort of timeline suppose for example you told me you want a pension you want to be able to retire at 60 you want to put two children through private school in 10 years time uh you're about to buy a house with a whacking great mortgage like that's not a great financial plan but what it gives us is some goals to be working towards All of them have got different timelines and therefore different requirements for the money that you've invested at different stages to achieve that goal. Working with Reddington, what we've done through Nother is essentially bucket those requirements to create five core model portfolios, each with different asset allocations and different levels of risk. Then there are an additional five that are broadly similar, but with an ESG-tilt. That way, Leith Co. can ensure individual clients are invested in the right bucket for them at a given time based on what they need to achieve, while Reddington monitors the investment performance of those buckets. On the
1: topic of performance then, markets have been pretty shaky over the last year uh, with lots of investors enduring sustained periods of low or even negative growth. Uh, and I suppose the question lots of them will be asking is, how long do you let an investment slide before before you say enough's enough? When do you call time on a loser?
2: Yeah, well, I'm sure that's a question that a lot of people are going to be asking at the moment. Um, but my first question, and I suppose the first question we we'd always try and get our clients to to answer is, is, what is your criteria for a loser? Because thinking like an institutional investor, periods of negative performance, while painful, are somewhat in an inevitable part of a long-term investment strategy. But clearly, you know, I, I know this personally, when individuals have in their eyes lost money or seen the value of their savings gone down, it's really easy to slide into emotional decision making. And that's what we're trying to help. So as investment consultants, we're putting processes and frameworks in place to combat some of those behavioral and emotional biases that pop up all over the place when we're talking about money.
0: And this is where individual discussions about attitude to risk and capacity to loss are also incredibly important. Something being down 20% on the year isn't what any investor wants to see, of course. But over a long enough investment horizon, if the fundamentals are good, if it's well suited to your investment goals, and it's just one part of a well-diversified portfolio, then that painful period is barely going to register as a blip in the long run. But when you're at the sharp end of the spear, thinking like that takes a lot of discipline, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. But that's one of the main differences, I suppose, between a typical institutional investor and a typical retail investor. And, and those are stereotypes and clearly there there is a, a grey area and a middle ground. But but really what we're trying to say is no one thing is always the best and no one thing is always the worst. No matter what investment lens you look through, whether it's asset class or style or market, sector, geography, everything can can have its day and and, and also have, have a day where it, it looks like the worst investment strategy in the world. Um, and that's one reason why proper diversification is so important and diversification is a really key tenet of a robust investment process.
0: Yeah, of course, because if you're always just chasing what looks attractive now, more often than not, you'll end up buying high and selling low on repeat and you'll lose on both sides of the coin. Yeah, that sounds quite a lot like my fantasy football team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, we actually put a post out on LinkedIn over the summer that illustrates this point quite nicely. It was based on data that actually in fact came from Reddington and it showed that the best performing category has typically been different in almost every year of the past 15 years. What's more, the top performer in 2020, Momentum, was actually bottom in 2021.
2: Yeah, and cycles like that aren't at all uncommon. In fact, one of the main reasons why some of the key investment styles work is is because of behavioral biases like that. Um, and so, for example, trend following um, or Momentum t- style investing, which is buying things that are going up and selling things that are going down does actually work, but over, over a specific time period, so in, in the short term. Um, one investment bias or behavioural bias that tends not to work um, over any time period really is when people try to be too smart about timing the market and can often mean that you miss the best days in the market because you've decided to, to, to wait because you think you're not, you're not quite there yet. And once you add in the effect, that compounding effect of missing those days, it makes such a big impact on the outcome that you have down the line in 10, 15, 20 years time. And this is a, a behavioral bias called heuristics. So you're basically taking a shortcut to an answer using just a few pieces of information. So something that you read in the FT or someone down the pub saying that they've made a decision and suddenly you end up making a decision for yourself based on that information That's what we try and encourage our clients to avoid. And look, at the end of the day, our clients are also humans, um, like any retail investor is. So it's really important. But creating frameworks and processes to stop people letting those behavioural biases, what they read in the in the newspaper or what they've talked to people about, impacting their decision making, and try to stay invested through that whole market cycle.
1: So if periods of poor performance aren't necessarily uh, red flags, then what sort of signs should you look for?
2: I think the best question you can ask is: Has anything actually? fundamentally changed and we are are having to navigate through a huge amount of noise to find those reliable signals that can lead us to think is there more risk that we want to avoid or is there more opportunity that we want to take advantage of and an example that is you know in and out of the news all the time um, was in the news a lot when it was happening is is Brexit and there was a huge amount of narrative and in my opinion noise around what would happen after the Brexit vote and in, in markets and the economy and everything And the general consensus at that particular time was that it wouldn't happen, and that the the vote would be to to not leave. Um, And if we'd then gone and advised clients and and implemented investments, assuming that, and assuming we knew what would happen if that happened, then we could have ended up in a really difficult position. And so that—that's the noise that I was talking about. A great example of this, actually. So in January, government bonds were yielding one percent, or ten-year government bonds were yielding one percent. In October, they were four and a half to five percent. And that's come back in. But that's a really useful signal where we can say, well, that asset that back in January was yielding us one percent is now yielding us four and a half to five percent. And we can make decisions around that and advise our clients that now might be a good time to to rotate into those types of asset classes as we conversation we've been having with your investment committee, Tom.
0: Yeah, indeed. And because another has discretionary permissions, whenever we need to make these changes, we're able to implement them really, really quickly. And as a general thing, it's all about being proactive rather than reactive.
2: Oh, yeah. And and that's that's exactly what I mean, being proactive around signal. And it's a, it's a hallmark of, of the way institutional investors or well-managed institutional investors uh, operate.
0: Yeah, but what's being key here is making sure you're not making knee-jerk emotional reactions, but rather monitoring the various risk factors rationally being objective, making sure you can make informed investment decisions.
1: So what sort of risk factors are we talking about? Well,
0: it could be something as simple as that example Tara just had with interest rate movements impacting government bonds and their returns.
2: Yeah. Or it could be that something fundamental has changed at the fund management house. So these active funds that uh, that your clients are invested in, are all, they all have people who are either making the investment decisions or designing the processes that informs those investment decisions and if we identify up front that a key individual is critical to a good outcome from that particular fund management house we will identify that up front and if that person leaves we want to be making the decision to sell before that then results in the poor performance that, that could be inevitable if you know a key person um, in any business uh, w- w- was, was to leave or Another fundamental change if you've hired a fund manager to invest with a particular investment style and they're not delivering on that that thesis, like we said earlier, nothing's always the best and nothing's always the worst. But we don't want to have too much of one particular thing in a portfolio. So we're looking for balance. So whilst we're looking for the best of the best, definitely, we know that some things are going to perform better than others at different times.
0: And that's okay, provided the portfolio is sufficiently diverse.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly that point. Um, but if there's something in there that's no longer doing what it's supposed to, even if it's performing well, that balance gets thrown off and could be a cause for concern to us.
1: Even if it's performing well?
2: Yeah. So the, the question you asked at the start was when when to call time on a loser. I suppose there is also time that you could call on on a winner. And so if you've, if you've, taken a, a, a strategy or, to, or invested in a in a manager because you want a particular investment style and a, and a particular outcome if they then don't do that and invest in a completely different way even if that has been beneficial you could end up with a skewed portfolio and so actually that's a really great time to be getting that diversification in and selling out and and tilting towards the exposures that you want because you've got that benefit and you can sell whilst you're up
1: so what are the key takeaways then for individual investors
0: um I think thorough, independent investment research is obviously the key. It's the main thing that institutional investors tend to have the benefit of that, by and large, retail investors don't. By working with Reddington, we've been able to level that playing field a little bit for our clients. But beyond access and research, I think there are three key principles Tara's touched upon that retail investors can look to adopt. Firstly, have a strategy that's aligned to your goals. Secondly, make sure there's sufficient diversification in your portfolio. And thirdly, play the long game.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. All I'd say is The reason retail investors sometimes struggle to adhere to those principles, even if they know they should, is that when it's your money, it's hard not to become emotional about it. And that's why you put the right people in place to stop those behavioral and emotional decisions happening. By all means, be emotional about the house you want to buy, be emotional about sending your kids to a great school, be emotional about what age you can afford to retire, but then be rational and objective about the plan to achieve it.
1: Good stuff. Uh, I think that's probably quite enough for one day. Tom, Tara, thanks for your time.
0: That's a pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me. Playing us out today, Andrea
1: Bocelli. What a treat.
0: Time to say